Good evening, everyone. Happy Sunday. We are, we planned to do this video a couple of days ago, but things get crazy up here in ranch land. We had no water for like two days, which is extremely disruptive to life. Uh, you can't do anything. Everything, you know, is kind of dirty. You're dirty. Everything's dirty. <laughs> the animals are, have no water. It's, it's kind of a, it's crazy. Um, so we're, you know, actively seeking ways to be water sufficient. Uh, so that kind of delayed everything, delayed the early bird registration for awareness school. So it actually ends tonight, not Friday. So that's uh, another reason we're on today. But today we want to talk about a fun topic, an interesting topic. Um, I made a post earlier about identities, about games, about characters and personas and how, you know, when I look back at my experience before I became aware of the stuff going on inside of my head that was creating my experience, I was just, I was in it. I experienced everything as very poignant, very real, very serious and heavy and dramatic. Um, and there's this process where you start to become aware of like the, the games that you play, the roles, the characters, the kind of rote ways you respond. And we want to talk about the, the process of kind of becoming awake to these games, the phoniness, the fakery, the stuff you do that isn't really you. It's all kinds of things that you've observed from other people. You're like, this is how to be an adult. This is how to be in a relationship. This is how to be a professional person. And you hear little one-liners and you, you know, you get infused with ideas about how you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to act. And you never really looked at it. And so this work is really about, let's look at it. You know, is this an authentic expression or is this a robotic um, recitation of something I got somewhere else that I've never really looked at? And it's really fun to wake up to it because a lot of the stuff that was so heavy and felt so serious and real and problematic about yourself, your past, your personality, you start seeing, oh, those are all choices. Those are all options. I don't have to be married to any of these aspects that I used to think was me, my personal self. And I can say, oh, I see how that played a role in that relationship dynamic. You know, people are born into families, into character <laughs> roles. And when you start seeing, oh, that's not really me. That was part of the role that I played in my family or the character I played in other people's lives. And when you wake up to this, you start to kind of be able to live the life you actually want to live. Yeah. So a lot of people are more or less kind of unhappy with, with their life. They don't really feel like, you know, they don't really know what's going on. I mean, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? They seem to just kind of be stuck in a certain sort of, you know, there's a cycle that they go on and there's some nice parts and some not nice parts and kind of a lot of monotony and unpleasantness and anxiety or discontent in between. And one of the things it seems like people who are quite unhappy with the way things are going just kind of generally ambiguously globally unhappy or discontented or whatever it's the creative stuff is going on unconsciously and automatically kind of mechanical programming is like why are you thinking what you're thinking right did you decide to think that is that an original thought coming from you or is it like something that you picked up from your parents or from early life experiences? You know, this is how this is how you think when you've been married for five years. This is how you think when you're single. This is how you think after a breakup. This is how, you know, so on and so forth. This is how you think once you have children. This is how you think once, you know, I don't know, you have to get a job or whatever. And if the creative stuff's going on unconsciously and, you know, 
it's mechanical and it's therefore, you know, we would call that fake in a way because it's not really you. It's going on in you, it's manifesting through you, right? Sometimes it's manifesting as you, but it's not really you. It's like, you know, a, a sponge isn't the water that it absorbs. You know what I'm saying? There's still, even though the water is kind of perfusing the sponge and affects the sponge and makes it bigger or whatever, the water and the sponge are, are distinguishably different things, you know? And in the same way, the crap that you pick up as a result of growing up around people who spew a bunch of crap, right? You know, um, the, the, the stuff that gets set into motion within you as a result of traumatic life experiences or just kind of as a result of, you know, things just not being great, um, that stuff is not you, but it does perfuse you and it does affect you in different ways. And so when the stuff that's creating the consequences is mechanical and fake, and then the person who has to endure those consequences is the real you. And that's for a lot of people, they are most real when they are kind of stuck with the consequences of what their fakery created. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and, you know, we see their fakery, we don't necessarily mean, oh, I'm going to go hang out with this person. I'm going to pretend like I like, you know, it's not like conscious, deliberate faking. It's stuff that you just have <clears throat> sort of involuntarily picked up as a result of the life that you've gone through up until this point. And so that can create a lot of that kind of unhappiness, a lot of that sort of listlessness, a lot of the sort of, I mean, for many people, it's kind of a despair. Um, and what we do is pretty much figuring out, developing a capacity to distinguish. One, notice what's going on in your head. It's very useful. Um, and noticing there's more to it than most people think. It's not simply, oh, I know I'm doing that. I'm, a, I'm aware of the fact that that's the thing I do sometimes. It's really developing the ability to see it as it's happening see it as it's happening and, and that's observing it, and then not have that observation interrupted by involuntary fake mechanical reactions to the thing observed. So for instance, I see that there is anxiety going on inside. And a lot of people, when they see that they're, they have anxiety that's going on inside, they get really anxious about it. So that, that would be a reaction to it. They have an emotional reaction to the fact that they're feeling the way they don't want to feel. And then they just sort of spiral into a whole bunch of mechanical reactions to that. And so really personal freedom is developing a person's ability to witness what's going on inside more of the time without having what it is that they're seeing as a result of doing that observation, sort of rope them back into, pull them back into that mechanical unconscious activity. And, you know, I, I think that for a lot of people, there's a tendency to underestimate how much of their thinking, feeling, behaving, and then they're creating, sort of they're manifesting the stuff that they're, you know, relationship status, financial situation, maybe even physical health, certainly social relationships, obligations, I'm not appreciated, no one likes me, all this different stuff. How much of that stuff, one, is coming from them, and two, is coming from a bunch of fake mechanical crap that is just sort of taking up residence in their head and operating outside of their awareness, but really in a sense kind of using them and their life and their energy and their time and their effort uh, to find expression in the world. So like is there crappy stuff, is there mechanical thought programming that it is not you, but it is using your mind, it's using your brain, it's using your you know, capacity to interact with the world, to feel feelings and to you know, be driven to do things. It's using you as a vehicle to sort of manifest itself into the world. And that's the case, becoming aware of that and learning to observe it really is sort of mastering that stuff so that you can say, I'm not really interested in doing that anymore. I think I'd like to do something different instead. Yeah, so like, for example, a game that people play, a game that I have played um, is, let's see, what's one? A harried woman. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm so busy. I just have so uh, so much to do and so little time. And I play this game called I just I, I this just an endless list and I'm never gonna get it done. And you know I will sigh like when I when I slip into that role, my whole attitude, the whole way that I engage with my projects, with my life, with my business, with my partner is through this this fake game, this character, this persona called I'm so busy, oh, my life is so stressful and overwhelming and I never have enough time to do anything. And it's possible for me to like slip, if I'm not paying attention, my attitude, my, you know, my whole entire demeanor, my facial expression, like Steve can tell if I'm like, if I've slipped into some type of game, if I've slipped into some type of role, because the, the, the things that I say, the way that I laugh, the way that I talk, everything about it is different. And when I become aware, oh, I'm doing that thing. I'm, I'm seeing life through this lens. I'm playing that game. I pick this up somewhere else. This isn't really me. This isn't the only way I can, you know, interact with my, my, my business, with my life, with my world. It's just one that I learned early on and it's easy for me to kind of slip back into it, you know? Also, uh, you know, like a nagging woman, a woman who just oh, always has problems with her, with her significant other and can't ever, and always finds, you know, a nitpick or some problem to create. Is that really her? Is that really her, that woman? Is she, you know, is her, the essence of who she is a nag? Well, no, she's playing a game and she doesn't realize that she's playing a game. And so it's when we wake up and we see, wow, I was doing that thing. I was playing disgruntled customer just then. <laughs> I was playing, you know, like a crabby jerk. And, and when we start seeing, oh, these are games, these are patterns, this isn't who I really am. One, our last video that we did was about guilt and shame. And it's, isn't it so helpful to realize like if I was just doing something nasty or grumpy or you know dysfunctional to see that isn't really me. That's not the essence of who I am. It's a pattern. It's a role. I put on the outfit unconsciously. I went unconscious. I, I, I stepped into a role and I started acting from that role. But as soon as I wake up to it, as soon as my partner helps me see it, as soon as I use my own awareness tools to see myself doing something like that, all I need to do is, you know, when I take the costume off, I, I don't mistake myself for the costume. I know that once I'm no longer wearing it, once I'm no longer in it, it's no longer me. And so it gets rid of the guilt and the shame, but it does help you to interact genuinely with yourself, with your partner to see, wow, I was just doing something that doesn't work. And it just discharges any like ickiness unless you're still fused to it. The only way, so if somebody maybe points something out to you and you are devastated or you have your feelings hurt and you're just, you know, you, you want to cry about it and you feel so horrible about it, it's because that costume is still on you. You're still wearing it. You're still fused to the identity. You think it's who you are and you're mistaken, but it feels very real because that's the thing about a character. And that's what I wrote in the post is like, the best actors are the ones who don't even realize they're acting, who actually believe and think that this is who I really am and my actions are always totally justified and everything is totally real and they feel it so deeply and that's part of how they get bamboozled by the character by the persona by the game is because they really really believe in it and so you know it's a person has to wake up to this for themselves you can't kind of come up to someone and it's also kind of rude actually if you're you know at a play what is that um 
the one it was in Curb Your Enthusiasm, like where you're at that Tony's wedding or something. Oh, right. And like, you're supposed to be, it's like this whole play where you go and you actually interact with the actors, you know, but if you are trying to get someone to break out of character and they're like, no, we're, we're doing the thing. We're, we're playing the role. We're in this, you know, we're dressed up in these costumes. I, I can't break character. Oh, there's a South Park thing about that too. Wasn't there? The yeah. Oh, some civil... historical reenactors. <laughs> where you're like, you can't break character no matter what. That's how a lot of people are, is they can't break character and you can't, you know, wake them up to it. But you, you can wake up to your games if you're finding they're not fun anymore. If you're not, if you're enjoying it, if you like to be a nag, if you like to be crabby, if you like to be a disgruntled cr customer, it's like, play the game, go for it, do it. But if you're like, this isn't totally fun, uh, I think that there's probably another way that I could operate my mind and my experiences. That's that's the waking up. And, you know, so there's so many ways that you can see yourself engaging in these scripted, rote, you know, uh, just have you, if you've ever felt like you are uh, in Groundhog's Day, which is my birthday, but <laughs> you're in Groundhog's Day doing the same thing, saying the same thing, using certain phrases, catch yourself. Having an automatic reaction like a fake laugh I mean, if people would just wake up to when they do like a fake laugh, that, and they don't realize they're they're doing a fake laugh, that's a good one. Yeah. Usually I'm the one making those obscure references. Like, <laughs> yeah. Wasn't there an episode of South Park? I often wonder too, when people make a request to join the video, one, was it on purpose or was it an accident? And when it comes up again and again, is that a repeated request or is it again? just, maybe it's letting you know. I don't know, maybe, but yes. That would be the charitable interpretation. <laughs> that would be, uh, yeah. Um, so I, one of these things too is like when you, when you have a conversation about being fake versus being real. So it, it, it doesn't work if, if the dynamic is this, if the dynamic actually is this, or if you think that the dynamic is this, it won't work, right? And here's, here's what won't work. We're in something called the real club. See, this is the real club and people who go to awareness school, they are gradually initiated into the real club. You are not in the real club and that's because you're fake. And you're fake because you haven't taken awareness school, <laughs> which means you're lame because you're not in the real club like Melissa and I am. See, that if that is the dynamic in fact, or if that's the dynamic that you um, sort of infer, you know, erroneously, hopefully, um, then that's going to generate a tremendous amount of fakeness. Okay, so if, if, if being real is a sort of interpersonal or a social virtue, you've just psychologically incentivized fakery in exactly the same way that if, you know, being nice is generally rewarded with, among children, right? And being not nice is punished. And so the child inside has an incentive to figure out how to be nice, uh, how to be regarded as or perceived as being nice and how to uh, avoid being perceived or regarded as being not nice. And so if you're, if you want to be more real, you have to start out wanting to be more real for yourself only for you not so that you can be in the club with the other people we're already going down fake fake road it's about i would like to be more free i would like to be able to see the world i suspect that i am not perceiving and experiencing and responding to the world in my own way i suspect that i'm perceiving and experiencing and responding to the world in ways that are uh, less than ideal and we'll call them, what would you say, uh, uh, not natural to me, not native to me, uh, probably pretty mechanical, inherited or imposed upon me by other people. I'm under the sway, under the influence, under the control of forces that should not be dictating my life. Um, anytime someone makes a comment on my post, 
I have to feel this bad feeling. Anytime I want to do something for myself, I have to justify right the desire to do that. Anytime I say no to a request, I feel like I have to explain why I'm saying no. Where did the feeling that you have to explain yourself come from? Not the not the decision to explain yourself. That's, you know, maybe that's a fine thing to do maybe. I'm talking about the feeling that you cannot say no unless you've got a really good explanation, right? Or unless you lie, right? The feeling that you have to justify the things that you want. That's not you. That's somebody else. That's something else operating in you. And it's like, would my life be better without that? No, no bullshit. No fake, right? No like, oh yeah, I'm real like them. I'm real like him and I'm real like her and I'm real like they are. It's No. It's like your ability just to sort of wake up and move throughout a day without having to think thoughts that aren't yours, but that you know you kind of like signed a contract almost to think a certain number of times each day or under certain circumstances. Um, deal with a whole bunch of feelings. Now dealing with the feeling means having the feeling come up. It also means reacting to that feeling in a certain way because parents, circumstances, situations, they don't just teach you what to feel, they teach you how to react to those feelings. When you feel angry, go break some furniture. Or when you feel angry, uh, turn it inward on yourself, right? Mm -hmm. When you feel depressed, start assuming that you're always going to feel that way. Tell yourself stories that make the depression feel even worse than it did before, or that paints a really awful picture, not just about how you feel in this moment, but how you're likely to feel forever. Tell yourself that you need other people to like you. It's, It's all these things that you've been conditioned to do, and it's all mechanical and it's not real, but you're so accustomed to it, really, that it just seems like the most natural thing in the world. And so it's about being free from that. Not so that you'll be a better person, but so that it won't be uh, such a pain in the ass to exist, you know, because it it is kind of a pain in the ass to exist (laughs) with a tremendous amount of mechanical thinking that's not really resourceful. That's, you know, if you're going to think things that don't serve you, at least let those thoughts be yours and not somebody else's. And so that's the first thing that I would really just kind of emphasize is that this is not about acquiring social status. This is about making it so that you are uh, less sort of beholden to the need or the compulsion to acquire social status so that you can think in terms of, oh, this idea is really going to enrich my life experience. This idea Mm -hmm. is going to connect me to myself in a meaningful way so that when I open my eyes and I look around the room as I move throughout my day, it is a genuinely and an authentically higher quality experience than it was before because it's me interfacing with reality, not me interfacing with reality through about 50 feet of mechanical nonsense that's been just kind of poured into my mind, piped into my mind since the time I was, you know, four, three, two years old. Um, It's about you and your ability just to enjoy yourself more and to assess what's going on inside your head and to notice what's going on, you know, we think of education and sort of of raising children a lot of the times as being we're enhancing the child's ability to respond to prompts that are given to it from the outside world. And in some ways that's true. Oh, that's a train, get out of the way. I mean, right? But a lot of the crap that gets put into children's minds interferes with their ability to respond to prompts from the outside world. Wow, that person's not treating me very well. I'd like to have less to do with them. Oh, but I don't want people to think I'm mean. That's an impediment. I don't enjoy interacting with that person. I think I'll do it less. Oh, but what about that? That's a constraint on that person's personal freedom. Their natural innate knowing recognized that they wanted less of something in their life. 
I don't really care about these people's approval. I don't know why I'm even seeking it. Oh, but well, you don't want them to think that you're antisocial, right? You have, a, have you ever have this happen to you? You have a good idea or you have a realization and then a voice comes online to tell you why you can't pursue it, right? Or that you realize that you don't want to continue engaging in some ritual that's not really doing anything for you personally. And then that voice comes online to tell you why you must continue or why you must not cease. You must continue because if you don't, so-and-so will get their feelings hurt. You must not cease because if you do, so-and-so might interpret that as meaning this or that or the other thing. That's stupid fakery interfering with intelligent realness, authenticity, knowing. And a lot of really the work that we do is indirectly, it works to achieve this really nice process where that voice isn't there anymore. And it's just you notice things that would be just like right action, perfect action. You know, this kind of like Zen mindset where it's, it's just you and responses to the world that are appropriate, that are measured, that are timely, that are calibrated, that are just, just as they are. That's really what a lot of this stuff is just is designed to help you achieve. And, and we really don't add things to your mind in order to enable you to do that. Most of this work is actually about clearing clutter out. It's about getting fake crap out of your natural real system so that that system can run more effectively and efficiently. Yeah, Natasha says, I've definitely been guilty of the people pleaser fakery. Yeah, like you just described is this, I, I have to, I must smile and I must, you know, let, make the, allow this person to have a good perception of me. If any time you're trying to meddle with how people see you, <laughs> this is a big one. I mean, it's huge for social media. It's like whenever you feel you know, and this is actually kind of big for identity conflicts too in GNM. It's like when you're really preoccupied with how other people see you. Oh, but if they think this or if I post that, they're going to think this about me. And if you're trying to like curate your image <laughs> and you're trying to like make sure Steve would call it uh, what the minister of propaganda. <laughs> I, I need to, well, I don't want people to think that well, anytime you think I don't want someone to think dot, dot, dot about me. I don't want them to think I'm mean. I don't want them to get the wrong impression. You know, the, the realness is let people get the wrong impression. Let people have their, because that's the thing too, is when someone else is kind of committed to having an idea about you, you know, you you can bend over backwards and craft your image and say everything in just the right way. But if they're playing the game called, I'm going to see you in an unlovely light, they're going to do it no matter how many hoops you jump through and how many fake smiles and fake laughs and, you know, things you invite them. It doesn't matter. They're going to have that perception of you. And so when you realize, again, like the the unrealness of so many of our interactions, because it's not, and this has been a big thing, like in relationship is, can I relate to, can the real me relate with the real you? <laughs> or are we relating through games of this is how, you know, men and women, uh, masculine, feminine, uh, husband, wife, partners, what, like, how many layers of mechanical ideas are we relating through? Can I even just be me and just be you and actually interact on that basis? Um, a lot of times the answer is no, or it took, it took it takes a long time to deprogram and notice, oh, I just did a mechanical reaction. You will not change someone else's perception of you. And, and you don't, I mean, other people's, the way other people see you is of so little value to you. 
And that's one of those things too. The more of this work you do, the more, we play this strange game with other human beings and it's this kind of nasty thing where it's like, okay, so I've got a hologram of you in my mind and you've got a hologram of me in your mind. And we're gonna do this kind of power play thing and we're gonna nice nice to each other here. But that nice niceness that we're doing here, it's just a kind of politicking, it's just a leveraging. It's like politi two politicians from rival countries that meet and you know they, they cheer champagne and everything, but they really wanna kill each other. I mean, they would like nothing more than to have that other person overthrown or conquered or whatever. And that's really at some level what a lot of interpersonal interactions are like, even if the diplomatic channels are open and at, at the root and at the core, it's adversarial. It's competitive, and I think it's adversarial and competitive because we're playing a game that says, I've got something that you need, and I can withhold it, withhold it from you, and you've got something that I need, and you can withhold it from me. And, and the thing that I need is I need for you to make a pretty hologram of me in your mind, and, and, and I need you to believe in this pretty hologram of me and say, that's who I really am, and then you need me to do the same thing for you. <clears throat> and I think that, like, if you don't have the ability to kind of generate your own sense of wholeness and enjoyment and just sort of wholesome, resourceful engagement with reality, you know, and that just means doing things that you enjoy because you enjoy them and looking for new things to do and just this to be meaningfully engaged in a productive way with the areas of life that are important to you. If you don't have that going on a lot, you know, if you've been sort of deprived of that because of these kind of commitments to this other stuff, these social games that we're supposed to play, then it really does start to seem important what other people think about you. It, it seems like it's, it seems like their approval is something that's valuable enough to be worth striving for, and it seems like their disapproval is something that's catastrophic and unsafe and scary enough to spend a lot of time trying to avoid, and then you get sucked into this game. And if you believe that what other people think of you is really super important, then you're, you're, you're kind of making a big mistake. You know, you're, you're really putting yourself at the mercy of what are likely to be a large portion of the time extremely vicious people. And I mean like actually vindictive and vicious people because if you knew what, what it was like to be them was like, you would not want to put your sense of well-being at their mercy because anyone who feels as bad as they do mm -hmm. and anyone who is as confused as they are and anyone who is as much a slave to the opinions of other people as they are, right? And anyone who is as harsh in their criticism of themselves as they are is going to inevitably be vindictive, abusive to other people. And if I then allow myself to sort of in entertain this delusion that says what they think of me is super important, I put myself at the mercy of a deranged and probably violent, vindictive, and vengeful person. That's a very bad sort of existential business decision for me to make. And I'm you know, gonna suffer the consequences of that. It would be like turning over access to your business bank account to a person who was a known criminal, who was known to steal money, to embezzle, or to just outright defraud and all this different stuff. It's not a good idea. And so figuring out really how to get your sense of well-being completely from yourself, it, it doesn't cause, it, it doesn't result in, and this is the objection that comes up and it's a really funny thing, People implicitly believe that family structures and social cohesions depend upon these fake, phony, politicking, interpersonal interactions. That if you were able to feel whole and good and okay on your own, you'd stop going to church or you'd stop attending social functions. You'd never go to the family reunion. You'd leave your mother alone in her small apartment to die and wouldn't bring her groceries anymore. That's not really true. 
when you unhook yourself from this nonsense because you find kind of wholeness and goodness within yourself and you can just enjoy operating your mind in a very kind of resourceful and fulfilling way and you develop this kind of mental hygiene that says I don't get involved with nonsense no matter where it comes from. It doesn't matter if it comes from my mother, it doesn't matter if it comes from my children, it doesn't matter if it comes from my partner. I don't accept invitations to parties that I don't want to attend. I don't get involved in a bad feeling tennis where I serve you a feeling called disapproval and you serve me a feeling called, you know, I don't know, disapproval of my disapproval or invalidation of my disapproval or grievance plus, you know. I don't do those things anymore because those things don't make any sense. You just gradually kind of prune away, like you're pruning a bush. You prune away those patterns, those mechanical habits of interacting that you've been engaged in one at a time. And you do it literally in a case, on a case-by-case -case basis. Your friend will say she's going to call you and she doesn't. And you'll feel an opportunity to kind of like, like, a, like a Christmas duck. You cook up that hurt feeling. You know, and you put it in the oven. It takes a while because you got to think about it and ruminate on it for a while. You know, you put it in the oven and you start start it. You know, was it well, I don't know, 300, three hundred, three? I don't know what what's it what's it done. Yeah. And you know, and about you know, fifteen or 20, 30, 40 minutes in, you know, it starts to kind of the aroma begins to fill the, and that's how that hurt feeling goes, isn't it? Doesn't it take you about twenty four hours or so to cook up the real good hurt feeling before you're ready to confront her? You'll feel the opportunity to do that, and you'll go, I'm not interested in doing that anymore. Now that is a little bit of a pruning. You know, and then your husband will do, or your partner, your wife will do or not do something. And you'll say, oh, there's an invitation to say, God, she's such an idiot. Oh, he's such a moron. Oh, they never do that. And you go, wait a minute, I'm actually not interested in doing that anymore. That's a little instance of pruning. And it's really great because as you kind of drop these, when I say expectations, I mean game expectations. I mean, I expect you to do this precisely so that at some point you won't, precisely so that I can then become angry at you or frustrated with you or get my feelings hurt by you. That's what the expectation is for. It's not an expectation that's designed to be fulfilled. It's an expectation that is there to trap you in a position called one down, you're in trouble, and trap me in a position called one down, I'm the victim of you not doing what you said you would. And you start to see all this crap that is just manifesting itself through your mind. And you go, well, that's not me. I don't think I want to do that anymore. And that's, you know, it, it is kind of like couples there. A lot of people who want to get into couples coaching, though, they're just not ready for it because they can't even be real with themselves a lot of the time. And so what they want is they want to be real with their partner and they want to improve their relationship with their partner when they're not real with themselves and they don't have a good relationship with themselves. Imagine how hopeless that is. That's like a person who, you know, you, you want to go to the chess tournament and you don't even know what the chess pieces are and what the moves are and what they can do. And so it's really nice. You don't need other people to be different than they are. They're kind of perfect, actually, to teach you how to operate effectively within your mind, to reveal fakery to yourself. You could for the next year say, I'm not going to find fault with anybody, although I know it's there and I know I could find it if I looked. I'm not going to find fault with the way anyone is just for the next year. For the next year, I'm going to allow whatever is wrong with other people to reveal mechanical thinking that is present within me, game playing, right? Commitment to patterned thoughts, feelings, and interactions, right? So that I can gradually prune those things away so that I can be a free and a whole and a wholesome and an honest and an actual and a real and an authentic person. And then when the new year starts, if I want to, I'll really let them have it. 366 days, then I'll tell them what's wrong with them. But just for the next year, I'm gonna let everything about the way the world is sort of reflect to me. Now that doesn't mean that you have to let people run all over you in interpersonal relationships. 
doesn't mean you can't stand up for yourself in an interpersonal relationship. I'm saying when it comes to emotionally resisting the fact that they are, just skip that and say, well, you know, they shouldn't be that way, but since they are that way, and since they're not gonna instantaneously change, I may as well use the way that they are to see if I can gather some information about some fakery that might be present within me. Is there any part of, and this is one of those things, because I know they are as every bit, they're every bit as depraved as you think they are, and inconsiderate and rude and selfish and all that. It's true, they are. But is there any part of you that registers their misconduct or their character flaws as an opportunity for you or a resource, I get now to feel angry. I get now to feel offended. I get now to have my feelings hurt. I get now to be desolated. I get now to, people will do this to me sometimes. They'll be messaging with me or interacting with me and you can feel this little process happening where because I'm sharing more information with them than they are with me, they start to think of me as being someone who knows a lot about this stuff. And so it, like literally it just comes on, it's not mechanical, it's not real, it's not actually going on between us. It's just the thing they do in their mind Oh, he's mad at me. Oh, he's offended by something I said. Oh, I've upset him. And then we gotta go through this whole big thing. They have to go through this whole big thing. And it's got nothing at all to do with the reality of one human being to another. It has everything to do with some mechanical process that gets set into motion in that person's mind because of probably unconscious imagery going on inside that goes, oh, he knows a lot about this oh, I find what he says interesting or whatever. And then that sets up, I don't want to be stupid. I don't want to say something that's going to upset this person. And so they have to go through this whole big thing. Now imagine how nice that person's life will be when they don't have to do that anymore. And they can just talk to other people and not have to go through. It's awful. Let's go, it's like reading through liturgy or something like that. Every day we've got to go through and worry about what other people think and all this stuff. And so really awareness school is about uncoupling yourself from those mechanical patterns. Yeah. I recently had a feeling of or desire to get back in someone's good graces until I realized I was never there to begin with. Yeah, and what a, like, do I want to play this game? I mean, that's just always the question. Do I want to play this game of getting back into someone's good graces? Because, you know, when you're not in someone's good graces, there's just an energy to that. And they're playing a game called, you're not in my good graces. And they're, you know, they're also beckoning you to try to get back into good graces. And when you can feel, there's like this magnetic pull of the thoughts in your head and the thoughts in their head and kind of this, you know, this energetic game that you're playing. And you're like, do I even want to do this? And you just pull the plug. I mean, practice, that's just a wonderful, you know, kind of uh, feeling-based experiment, something to play with is like, Pull the plug on that. <laughs> Find out where that machine, because again, mechanical reaction, it's a machine. It's got a plug. It's plugged into something. Pull the plug on it. What does it feel like to pull the plug on, I want to try to get back into your good graces, or I want this person to see me in this way. Mm-hmm. Pull the plug on that machine. <laughs> feel it as it powers down and as that feeling leaves your body. And oh, look at all this, this the energy. You know. So again, it's an energy suck. If you have a certain amount of energy and you've got all these machines plugged in, you can't do, you don't have that energy to do anything fresh and creative and original because your all of your energy is allocated to other stupid games and, and machines. And so it's like, let me pull the plug on this. Can I pull the plug on that? What, you know, let me see how many plugs I can pull out and just sit with what that feels like. This potent energy that's ready. If there's stuff that you've been wanting to do that you haven't gotten around to doing, it's probably because your energy is being diverted to running a bunch of unconscious machines in your mind and maybe try unplugging them. 
and, and see what bubbles up as a result of having all this surplus energy that's not committed to doing whatever that was. Yeah. These things, I would say the original distraction, so even before like social media, which is obviously a huge time and attention suck, all of these false ideas and concerns and programs, like what, you know, whatever this desire to get back in this person's good graces is, you know, that's probably a specific manifestation of a different it's probably some unseen assumptions, right? They're giving, sorry, giving rise to that specific desire, right? There's things that you probably believe about that person or people who occupy that person's position or about interpersonal relationships or whatever that make that. And so that's, that's a distraction from reality, which is you and what you actually kind of want to do. It is interesting if I'm in this position where I'm like, okay, here's the person and here's me and I want to get back in their good graces. If I'm in this game, I'm looking from the perspective of me in this game, and I'm saying, oh, man, they're good graces. I could get there. You know, oh, they're bad graces. I'd like to be out of that. Oh, no, I, I, it's attainable, and it sure would be nice if they would smile upon me once again. But if you can kind of observe it, what happens is you, you're still here, but your perspective, your real, who you imagine you are is down here wanting those good graces, and that's fine. But who you actually are, and a lot of this is sort of waking up to who you actually are, or sort of claiming you're right. You know, it's kind of like your ideas about yourself are all of the kind of crappy apartments or hotel rooms down towards the bottom of the building. And who you really are, sort of your natural true self, is the penthouse suite at the top, but you don't know that. And so you spend all your time down here in this little kind of moldy, you know, not great view down here, and the garbage cans are right by the window. And, you know, you just, your perspective isn't that clear. But you gradually begin to realize that you can access within yourself a place from which you have a much clearer view and you can see a lot farther and you can see a lot more. And so here I am wanting that person's uh, getting their good graces again. And I can leave that idea of myself, which is fine and, and, and complete in itself and whatever, it's there, but I can float up to the penthouse. Then I can kind of look down at it and I can go, do I really want to spend the rest of my life wanting to be in people's good graces? How much more of my life do I want to spend wanting this? And you know, usually, the honest answer is, I don't really want my life to be about this. Because that's what's actually happening. When you're in the game, it feels like, no, no, my life isn't about this. It would just be so nice, though, if that person did approve of me. You've put the virtual reality headset on, right? And, 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 and in that virtual reality video game, I don't know, it's like the gold rings and Sonic or whatever. It is very valuable, you know. But outside the game, it has no value whatsoever. None at all. And... Going up here, it's like taking the virtual reality headset on. I mean, can you imagine? I just saw that Apple has come out with this sort of, you know, I don't forget what it's called, Apple Vision or whatever. If I put that thing on, I'd probably never come out. Like, I, like, you know, because you get, because I can say all sorts of things to myself before I put the headset on. But once the headset is on, everything about my mind that was engaging with this world out here is in that world. And I could rationalize staying in that world probably forever. And when I'm in that game, you know, I could rationalize staying there forever. But if I just step out for a minute, and I actually thought about this on the Apple marketing page, they have images and little clips, little videos of what people look like sitting on their couch wearing this thing. And it looks extremely dystopian. And I said, it's, it's a real mistake to show people what they're going to look like when they wear these things. Show the device, it's fine, because it's beautifully designed like most of the stuff Apple does. But when you see a person sitting there on their couch and leaning forward and getting popcorn and shoveling it in their mouth and they got these glasses, it's very, very creepy. And if you go up to your true self and you come look down and see what people call like the ego or you see this idea you have about you and it's like when I believe that this idea about myself is who I really am, it makes a lot of sense to crave that person's approval and to want to be in their good graces. Oh, but when I float up here and I look down, and I say, oh my God, what a dystopian nightmare. Here I am in the matrix and I'm, I thought I was living a full life and eating you know, wonderful steak and having a high paying job and I'm actually laying in some kind of weird 
vat or what is those <laughs> kind of containers and I had and I had these tubes going into me with harvesting my life force or whatever and so that's really what awareness allows you to do think how wonderful it would be if you didn't just know that it was stupid or foolish or kind of uh, the sort of height of futility to crave other people's opinion what if you could feel that it was futility and you could feel that it was foolish so that you would actually say to yourself you know I don't think I'm interested in doing this anymore right? Wanting to be loved, feeling unworthy. Imagine being in the depths of the feeling of unworthiness and having a little part of you that was like just a recently inflated balloon that could just float up, you know, sort of like a drone. You could send the drone up. Actually, that's kind of what awareness is like. It's like you're on the ground and you have a little drone and you've got a little remote control and you can send it up so that it can see things that you can't see. And you're still here. Like you're still having that experience. You may still be feeling anxiety. You may still be craving somebody's approval, but you can send a part of yourself up and get a better perspective. And that part goes, geez, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you some information about what you look like from up here. I don't think you're going to like it. Mm -hmm. And then you see it. And the more you begin to see yourself from sort of the perspective of your higher self, the more the perspective of your higher self, which is just this awareness minus constraining ideas that sort of cloud your vision, the more that becomes your perspective. And, and then the, the more you start to make choices that make sense in light of, so make sense um, when viewed from up above, right? So when you're in approval seeking, it makes a lot of sense, right? But when you're up above seeing approval seeking and seeing how futile it is and seeing how debasing it is and seeing how valueless their approval is anyway, then it stops making sense. And when it stops making sense to you, and that's the big thing, how can we make what doesn't make sense stop making sense to you? Because when it stops making sense to you, you'll stop doing it. And that's the key thing. And I don't mean intellectual sense, but I mean emotionally. I just can't, make sense out of doing this again. Like if you go to a terrible restaurant and, you, and it's just the worst experience you've ever had and you just have zero inclination to ever go there again and someone wants you to go there again and you go, I just, I can't do it. I don't want to go back to that place again. That's the feeling we want to build up inside when it comes to not the consequences of the pattern, but engaging in the pattern. Because a lot of people have that, I really don't want to do this again when it comes to the consequences of the pattern. But they have an insatiable desire to engage in the step-by-step -step process of the pattern. Then they start getting into a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear because they don't want to arrive at the destination, but they are absolutely determined and passionate about taking the trip. I don't want to arrive at the destination, but I really feel this compulsive desire to take the trip. I don't want to be left lonely and heartbroken, but I sure do want to date the guy who I absolutely know in my bones is going to leave me in exactly that condition. That's a bad place to be. When you get to the place where you have zero inclination to take the trip, you're no longer terrified about the destination because you know there's nothing in the world that could induce you to take that trip. And so that's kind of what awareness, that intellectual knowing is enough to get you really fearful of the destination. Mm. Oh, I don't want to wake up hungover and I, I've got X number of days of sobriety and I don't want to ruin it and all this different stuff. I don't want to end up there. Oh, but I do want to go out. I do want to have fun. I do want to have just one. I do want to have just one more. I just want to have a few more. After, you know, that's the journey, which is very, very appealing. And real freedom is when the journey is as unappealing as the destination is scary. And that's, that's when the, that in, you really get to that place as a result of having achieved some kind of higher perspective. Yes, someone, I think this was in response to caring what people think about you, she says, but there are some people that help us when they see us in ways we don't, like you and Melissa. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I don't, the but, the but suggests an, an objection. I don't really know. I don't, that doesn't seem inconsistent with anything I, as far as I'm concerned that we've talked about here. It's possible. Sometimes if I don't catch the comment at the time it comes out, yeah. I don't really know where it corresponds to. You can, you can benefit from another, per, but here's the thing. If I started saying things to you that didn't make any sense, right? 
are you now going to tie yourself up in knots um, because I said something that made sense to you yesterday? You know, if that's if so, that and I'm not saying this about this particular person, but just anyone who you know learns anything from anybody or listens to anything from anybody, that's not because you have a great relationship with me. It's because you have a compromised relationship with yourself. Mm-hmm. If the fact that I said something that helped you yesterday means you've got to listen to something I say today, even though that thing makes zero sense to you whatsoever. Now, you might choose to listen because you've got a good track record with the things that I've said and over time, but that's totally different. But when it becomes that kind of involuntary thing, that's when it really kind of um, can become a problem. So there, there is oftentimes, the thing is, am I free to interact authentically and spontaneously with information that may be of value to me? That's the big thing. Because that's what's, as far as I'm concerned, that's what's happening here. There is information that may be of value to some people. Right, And if that's true, and if that's you, to what extent are you free to experiment with and to consider the information that you think may be of value to you? And if you are free to do it, then you will. And if you do it, you experiment with it, then you'll figure out what works and what doesn't. And then you can kind of move forward from there. Yeah. Another game people play sometimes is to pedestalize the teacher, <laughs> you know, and, and, and to put people above you. And that is a game that you really want to observe. And that, you know, comes into contact or comes into play with like people pleasing It's like you're putting a person up here and you're down here and you're trying to please them. You know, we can pedestalize teachers, people we like, whatever. And, you know, we want to maintain this, oh, you're, you're the one teaching. So there's some type of you're better than me or, you know, and just notice if you do that because it's very common for people to kind of slip into that pedestalizing of people. And, you know, something we really recommend is to not do that. (laughs) Just to not notice if you play that game. Notice if if you get some kind of like nervous or again, I need these people to see me in this way, um, to stay in their good graces or whatever. And just notice it's like, is this game fun? Do I like to have this hierarchy or is it more fun to just be people on a couch sharing information we found helpful with other people on your couches, you know, listening to things and being like, oh, here's some nuggets, here's some helpful tools that we found in our, and that's kind of how we do our teaching or coaching or whatever. It's very much like, we found this helpful. We think you might too. There's not like, you know, there's no hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the pedestal is a gallows, by the way. I get nervous when people <laughs> yeah. start leading me up there because I know what you know. I know what the unconscious part of them has in mind. If you get into our course and you're too effusive in your praise of us, we may ask you to leave because I'll tell you something. We don't have problems with very many people, but when there is somebody who ends up being a problem, it is always the people who are the most effusive and generic in their praise of us. They're not talking about a specific idea and a specific thing they did that helped them in a specific way. It's that weird kind of, you're so wonderful, everything you say, no one talks about things the way that you do, oh my God, and all this different stuff. That's the worst thing that a teacher can hear because that person is absolutely plotting your downfall. So watch for that even within yourself because what we're looking for here are just useful ideas, that's it. I mean, if I, if I made a good hammer, you'd say Steve makes a really great hammer. If I need a new hammer, I probably never will because the one he gave me might last me my whole lifetime, I'm gonna go to see. But you would not extol the hammer maker in a, in a bizarre, un, uh, you know, sort of weird way. You just go, the guy's really good at making hammers. And you know, hopefully we're really good at conveying the information. Um, every, every, anytime you sort of are overly enamored with the source of the information, you are undervaluing the information itself. It's impossible to adequately appreciate a valuable idea if you are over-appreciating, I mean like aggrandizing the source of the idea. You can appreciate it. I mean, I'm glad you hooked me up with this idea here. But, you, you know, if you went to a matchmaker, 
this is a great idea. This is a great example here. So, you know, I'll, I'll extol myself. If you <laughs> went to a matchmaker and that matchmaker hooked you up with a guy or with a girl who was just right for you, right? And then you became so obsessively praising of the matchmaker mm -hmm. that you completely neglected the perfect match for you. You're calling the matchmaker on the phone. You're spending all your time telling everyone how wonderful that matchmaker is. Meanwhile, that, you know, so it's apparently great matchmaker set you up with somebody who's sitting over here in the corner waiting for you to pay him some attention. And oftentimes, that's the situation with a conveyor of ideas, mm -hmm. with a purveyor of ideas, is that there's this kind of personality thing that gets messed up where we talk how wonderful the person who gave me the idea was. Meanwhile, the idea is sitting on the shelf collecting dust. You know, they're waiting for you to take it out on the date and use it to improve your life. And so it's not, it's a trap that's easy to fall into. And I personally think it's a strategy that some people have for avoiding, uh, enjoying the benefits of, you know, that the ideas could bring into their life because doing that would interrupt something about what they believe about themselves. Yes. Uh, I don't accept invitations to nonsense is the 2024 vibe. Love it. That's it. Uh -huh. and if okay. they want to get upset with you for not attending, that's fine. You know, that's, that's, it's okay. Let them, let them be upset. For some people, their daily bread is being upset. <laughs> that's true. All right. Michelle says, my 27-year-old son was snarky and gave me a, what do you want now during a casual conversation at a party? There's more. Uh, this happened, this has happened 100 times before, but tonight I quietly said, I don't appreciate your attitude and will not put up with it and walked away. <laughs> now I feel terrible and he never apologized. Yeah. I think there's more. Yeah. Um, uh, why do I feel guilty? Well, because you're in the market for it. I mean, so, so I, I, the thing is, you didn't do anything terrible there. I mean, if he was snarky, to, if, he, if he displeased you, and you said, and this particularly is your son, and you said, I don't, you know, your, your behavior is displeasing me now, and that's that. I think the problem comes when, when you stand up for yourself, and then you say, if I stand up for myself, then they'll give me what I want. And that may not be true. The point is, though, that someone was behaving in a way that you didn't like, and it's not a random stranger on the street, it's your son. Um, and I suspect I mean, most sons can be kind of a jerk to their mom sometimes, especially in public settings where there's other things going on. And I don't know, maybe you were being annoying. Maybe you were, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know that it even matters, right? But the point is, you didn't like something that was going on. I think, nor I, I'm, I'm kind, of, kind of filling in the blanks here. Normally, you would have just kind of stomached it. Normally, you would have just kept it to yourself, but you let him know what was on, on your mind. And he did not respond in the way that you wanted him to. That's okay. I, I think that, you know, it's, it's what, the error within you may have been something that said, okay, well, if I do something different, I'll get exactly the result that I want, which is that he'll go, oh my gosh, mom, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. How can I help you? Would you like some more iced tea? And it would, you know, it would be a lovely thing if you responded that way, but he didn't. And I think it's recognizing. So every time something like this happens, try saying, what can I learn from this? And usually what you can learn from it, look at what your emotional response is, the feeling of guilt, right? And the, I don't know if there's maybe anything else that you also sort of want him to apologize. Maybe you're a little upset with him or maybe, maybe the fact that you're kind of, here's the thing. If expressing yourself is a maneuver, you're not really expressing yourself. You're engaging in kind of what maybe a little bit of fakery, right? And it's a maneuver if I'm, I'm going to tell you something because I want you to respond to it in a certain way. You know, if I go on, uh, uh, you know, as American Idol, even still a thing. If I go on yes, a singing yeah. competition show, I want the and I belt it out for the judges. I want the judges to respond in a certain way. Oh my God! Straight on through, you're going to win the competition hands down, right? 
Um, that's pretty normal. But if I'm just interacting with another human being in a spontaneous kind of social situation, and I ask them something or I say something to them, and there's a very specific response, not just that I would prefer, but in my head, I say to myself before doing it, okay, I'm going to do this. And what I'm really hoping for is that they're going to do that. And if they don't do that, then it's going to have invalidated my choice to do this. Mm. And then we're going to have a big problem. I'm setting myself up for all kinds of problems there. And so that might be the thing that you are well positioned to learn in this situation. Um, just because you behave rightly doesn't mean that other people are going to respond rightly to you or respond in the ways that you would like. The expectation that they will will be a source of suffering. I would say also the assumption that if they don't behave in the ways that you like, that means it was a mistake for you to indicate how you were feeling. Um, that will be a source of suffering too. It's not obvious to me that you did a wrong thing because you didn't get the response from him that you wanted. Well, I've got to scroll back up now. Someone said that... They find it scary. Oh, why is feeling my own emotions so scary? Or thinking others will talk bad or hate us so unbearably painful? And I would say to that that when you when you find your own emotions scary or you are thinking about what someone else might talk bad about you or not like you and you're finding that unbearably painful is because you're very devoted to an idea about yourself. Um, and this idea is so important to you and you're, you're thinking that what another person is saying about you is like you're highly valuing it and you are devoted to some identity that, you know, might be helpful for you to begin to question, is this, is this really real? Is that actually valuable? Because the more you experience suffering, it's the more entangled you are with the ideas you have about yourself, you know, because if you're sitting in your house, <laughs> uh, happy four walls, happy dog, you're just kind of like, you're good, but there's an idea that someone somewhere might be talking about me in a way that is unlovely, that I might, you know, they might be saying something bad, they might hate us, they, you know, and the mere idea of that causes my heart rate to go up, causes me to start freaking out. Um, that's a problem. You know, that is, there's ideas outside of me that are controlling me right now. And it's about what someone may or may not be doing inside of their head. You know, and that is giving that person power over like my core essence. And that is a mismanagement of my own energy. And I'm just not realizing that. And I'm so habituated to it because everybody I've ever been around is, you know, externalizing and looking to other people to make sure that they can, is it, is it okay for me to feel good in my body? That's basically what you're asking some other, you know, person permission to feel good in your body because they might be having thoughts about you that are, are unlovely, you know, and it's like getting to the point where you really realize and experience and not just in a, I know that, but like deep in your bones that it doesn't matter, you know, that if someone's talking bad about you, because does your destiny depend on them talking good about you? You know, and, and, and the more that you kind of peel back the layers, if it's scary to even acknowledge this stuff or to talk about it, um, you know, it means that you have an idea about yourself, about other people, about your future, about what's possible for you that um, is distorted. And it's not it's not the most resourceful way that you could be thinking about it. Yeah. If you, if, you know, if I take my ideas about myself too seriously, it's going to be very easy for me to take my idea or other people's ideas about me too seriously, right? So if I take my ideas about me too seriously, it's going to be very, very easy for me to slip because, because my ideas about me, I'm a good person. 
I'm a, I'm a, I'm a generous person. I'm a, you know, and all of this. And if someone else thinks that I'm a bad person, oh, oh, that's a bad, that's a big problem. You know, if someone else thinks that I'm uh, a selfish person, oh my God, that's very disturbing. I mean, for me, if someone says something negative about me, maybe you're right, you know? I mean, like if someone's really committed to one of those ideas, and it's not because I actually think that objectively they're correct, it's because I'm not attached to the idea that I'm the opposite of what they're saying, you know? And that's, that's the trick. The trick is get really attached to the idea that you're a good person so that if anyone, all anybody ever has to do is indicate to you or say to somebody else that they think you're something other than a good person. And then what? Well, then you've got to be up in, up in emotional knots all night long and you drive your husband crazy asking him, well, I mean, do you think that I'm, I think I'm real generous for And you'll lay in bed making your case before the cosmic judge and you'll say, yeah, they're crazy. And come to think of it, they're pretty selfish themselves and I've never done all this different stuff. But if you don't take it that seriously, and I think also if you recognize how confused you are, how confused you have been, and you got to figure they're at least as confused as you, right? They, they, in all probability, probably worse, um, then what they think becomes less important to you. What most people in this world spend a whole lot of their life worried about what people who have basically no status and no power over them might be thinking or saying about them. You know, and so if if you have that fear that comes up, here's the thing: use what's happening. This is, if you want to get into a really good relationship with yourself, which is what really all of this is about, we spend a lot of time describing the manifestations of a not good relationship with yourself or the lack of a good relationship with yourself. But if you really want from wherever you are right now to begin the process of establishing a very nice, intimate, constructive, supportive, wholesome relationship with yourself that's conducive to worthwhile, positive growth, start using whatever's going on inside your mind. Whatever feeling is there, use it, learn from it. And if the feeling is one of abject terror of the possibility that somebody else is talking badly about you or upset with you, or I can't remember exactly what the scenarios were, but you know, other people not happy with you, um, observe that feeling and study it and say, what does this feeling have to teach me about me? Mm. What confusion might this, what confusion might the presence of this feeling be bearing witness to, right? I guess we say to what confusing might this feeling of terror be bearing witness it's telling you something about yourself you have a deranged understanding of what it means if other people are talking about you you have a distorted perception about what the importance of other people's opinions are you have you have a wedge between you and you and it's it's like it's like it's like you're like a piece of wood and the axe that came down and split you is what other people think and you know it's, it's like if it's the right thing i can come together but if it's the wrong thing i've got to be split apart i can't lie comfortably in my bed if there's somebody else out there thinking something negative about me. And it's like, is that the life? I mean, here's the thing. If you're, if nobody is mad at you, right? And you don't think anybody's mad at you, but you would be emotionally terrorized if you did think someone was mad at you, you will sleep less nicely, less well than you would sleep if it wouldn't matter to you. And so it's not just about feeling peace when you think someone might be upset with you. It's about feeling peace all the time by sort of getting yourself out of all these little contracts that say, if the idea of someone being upset with me comes onto my mind, I'm supposed to feel all terrified. See yourself feeling terrified and just go, I'm not really interested in this feeling anymore. I'm not interested in feeling this way. I'm just, I'm just not interested in doing this. And, and if the feeling persists, fine, just keep saying. Because every, every time you feel that feeling, this is this thing too, 
When you feel unworthy or you feel unlovable or you feel terrified or you feel anxiety, can't you, if you kind of just like quiet down, just think about the last time you felt this stuff. Doesn't that feeling constitute an invitation for you to engage with it in some way? Like when anger is there? Like, isn't that anger an invitation to you to respond or react to the presence of that anger in the way you always do? Go start eating. Go distract yourself. Yell at a pet or a partner or a child. You know what I'm saying? Get involved. Spend some money to calm yourself down. I mean, go do something nice for somebody to cover the tracks of your sins. Or it, there, there are these kind of compulsive reactions that we tend to exhibit whenever we're feeling a certain way. Start squirming. You know, maybe look to your partner to see. Because sometimes if you're afraid that your mom is mad at you, you might look to your partner to see if they've done something that they shouldn't have done so that you can get mad at them. Because I'd rather be angry at them than I would be worried about my mother being angry at me. Because I'd, I'd rather be up here throwing the, throwing the crap down than being down here having the crap thrown down on me. And so look at the feeling and really start to experience the feeling and recognize the feeling as an invitation to you to engage in it in the ways that you normally do. Somebody might be mad at me. And if, how do you do? Oh, no, oh, my God. You know, or do you begin to go through this kind of rehearsal of why they shouldn't be mad at you? They probably aren't mad at you. And if they are mad at you, it's not justified. If all that dialogue is running through your head, I would start to say, is this how I want to spend my life? Do I, really, do I really want to do this? I don't think I want to do this anymore. And so instead of thinking of these feelings as like, you know, scary sort of emotional SWAT teams that are going to break down the door of your peace and well-being and sort of, you know, force you to go along with them, think of them as invitations. You, you, don't, you don't have to ride the... Just because the feeling's there doesn't mean that you've got to sort of march to the feeling's tune. You can say to the feeling, I... I'm not interested in dancing with you. And you can think of reacting to the presence of that feeling in the ways that you normally do mm -hmm. as dancing with that feeling. Mm -hmm. Now, for some people, the way they react is by stifling the feeling or trying to pretend like the feeling's not there. That's a reaction too. Resistance is a reaction. It's one of the most intimate reactions, right? And so if that, you know, if that anger comes up and in a way that anger is kind of like nudging you to go, you know, so sometimes when Melissa's ready for me to stop talking, she'll put her hand on my leg. Well, <laughs> particularly one of our, you know, one of our, our group, this is true, right? So sometimes you'll, you'll just, sometimes there's When it's like when we're at like hour three, you know, and I'm hungry. That's called justification. <laughs> so that's a, that's a, 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 that's a sort of a justifying yes, right? Yes. So you will. <laughs> That's a signal to me that says, wrap it up, Janice. Wrap it up, Steve, right? <laughs> and that's for the Sopranos watchers. Um, but, um, and in the same way, the feeling is like Melissa's hand sort of being set on my legs. She says, don't you want to stop talking? Don't you want to get up and eat some food or go exercise or get ready for bed or whatever? And when that feeling comes, it says, don't you want to resist me? Don't you want to pretend like I'm a big problem and that I'm scary? Don't you want to pretend like you're five years old again? And that, you're, and that I'm here because your parents are angry at you and you might be unsafe emotionally or physically or whatever, you know? And it's an invitation, you know, it's jealousy. Don't you wanna, don't, don't, don't you wanna pretend like the fact that I'm here means that your partner's being unfaithful? Or don't you wanna pretend like the fact that I'm here means that they must be doing that because, you know, you're not worthy of, of, of fidelity or whatever, you know? It's an invitation to, to do whatever it is that you normally do when those feelings come. And so declining that invitation would just be doing something different. Sometimes doing something different means adding observation, awareness to your doing the thing that you always do. What do you always do when you feel that way? Try to do something different. Someone asked, can you point that out to a partner if you see a pattern of them playing a game, <laughs> i.e. scapegoat, bad guy of the family, aggravator? Yeah. You can do whatever you want. 
You know, I mean, I, I, it depends a lot on what your partner is like. It depends on what your relationship is like, what your track record is. I'll tell you, it depends a lot on how honest you are in your application of this work. Mm. You know, because if I'm completely honest, if, and this this is and this is a tough one for a lot of people. If I'm complete, well, a lot of people being me a lot of the time. If I'm completely honest in my engagement with this work, and there's not even a modicum of kind of uh, um, a perversion or a sort of parental co-opting or an egoic co-opting, let me tell you about something you're doing, right? While mm -hmm. pretending to be your buddy, mm -hmm. the responses I get from Melissa tend to be better, and the responses I get from Melissa tend to matter less. So sometimes the responses I get from Melissa aren't better, but I experience those responses in a completely different way. I don't get upset if she doesn't respond well. Where is that coming from? Who says you have to get upset if people don't respond well to you? If you point something out to your partner and your partner explodes and then you explode back or, re or go into your sad shell, your hurt position, oh, I'm, I'm just trying to point things out, you're playing a game. You are as involved as they are. The fact that some people, the fact that some people get their kicks by, you know, uh, spreading slippery stuff on the grocery store aisle so that someone slips, and the fact that other people get their kicks by slipping in the grocery store aisle. I had a great uncle who was that way. He was a he was a slip and fall. <laughs> he would go. Did you know about the Don? No way. Yeah, yeah. He would go what? into grocery stores and 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 slip and fall and try to get money from. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Allegedly, I never witnessed it. I, I tend to believe it. Uh, but anyway, don't be so sure of your innocence. Mm, I would really, oh, that, I would really write that one down. <laughs> yeah, and 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 I and I and, and I don't mean interpersonally, right? I don't mean every time someone does anything mean to you, it's your fault they did that thing. But look at how you react. Is there any part of you that exploits it? Is there any part of you that recognizes it as an opportunity or a resource? If that's true, it's not an interpersonal foul. That doesn't mean that you're like, oh, now I've told you, but, but, but. It means you have an enemy in your household, mm -hmm. right? It means mm -hmm. that you are more corrupt than you realize you are. And that corruption is going to negatively impact you, N not your partner. You don't owe it to your partner to get rid of that corruption. You owe it to yourself. And so watch those things. Watch how you react to your, the way that your partner reacts. Point it out. Maybe they'll, well, maybe they'll receive it well. Maybe they won't. And actually, it's almost hopeful that they will receive it poorly because then you can see how you react to that poor reaction. Is there a part of you that rushes to something? And if there is, you go, okay, is that, that's interesting. Mm. Was there a part of me that was lying in wait? You know, I know what I'm going to do. If you, I've got some good advice for you, and I'm going to deliver it to you in a very calm, in a very respectful way. And if you don't reciprocate that respect and heed that advice, I got just the reaction for you. And I've got just the bad feeling. And I've got just the conviction of justification to back that bad feeling up. The more you observe yourself inside, you will witness you're laying traps, you're preparing. You've got it all laid out. Now that preparation is participation. Mm. I am participating <laughs> in this thing. There's a part of me that hopes that it happens. And, you know, if that's the case, it's, it's good to see. It's a good thing to see. Yeah. This person asked, why do some people say they want to give you gifts and then never actually get to it? And how can that be processed on either? <laughs> <laughs> well, this somewhat, you know, seems like it could be a bit of a game. Um, the game being, you know, how do you feel when that person doesn't give you the gift? It could be a reinforcing of uh, disappointment pattern. Um yeah, I mean, that's, that's very interesting just to notice, like, how do you feel when they don't? How do you feel when you have the conversation? And, you know, how are you 
on the in-between when you're waiting, you know, and what do you say to yourself and the conclusions you come to when the gift doesn't come through. And yeah, so this very easily could be some type of game. When was the first time someone ever promised you a gift and didn't give it to you? Are you unconsciously reliving that pattern to come to some certain conclusion about yourself of I'm unworthy or unloved or nobody ever this or people always that or, you know, high hopes and then uh, dashed expectations. All of these things are games. All of these things that we engage in. Emotional highs and emotional lows are games. And so um, notice like, how does it make you feel when this happens? Um, you know, is it simply a practical, you know, cause you can have an adult to adult conversation where you're like, hey, I, my love language is gifts. I really appreciate gifts. Gifts let me know that you love me. You know, let, lets me know that you're listening to the things that I, if you can just have like a, a level adult conversation with your partner um about that and they receive it and it's like you guys can get on the same you know that may not be a game but if you you know from a child perspective <laughs> you don't really believe that what do you mean i'm just kidding oh. <laughs> if you from a child perspective you know let them know that your feelings are hurt and you know you kind of use like emotional leverage to convey that information you, know, you just want to look at all of the intricacies of how this conversation went down mm -hmm. tends to go down yeah i don't know you and i don't know the relationship or anything like that but there's one thing i have observed there are people who are in the market to be disappointed in people and there are people who are in the market to have people be disappointed in them those people often get together and the mm. former are often women, people who are in the market to be disappointed in people. Um, and the people who are in the market to have people be disappointed in them, they're often men. Now, I, again, I, you know, it, it's a thing. And, it's a, and, and I think it, it, it's, it may be an unconscious pattern in which both of you are unwittingly involved. It may be. It may be an unconscious pattern in which only one of you is involved. I might, if, you know, I, I have a conversation with this person and say, how about this? I don't want you to ever mention giving me a gift again. Don't, now, I, and it'd be interesting to know, do you, if you have said to this person, I would like for you to give me gifts or, you know, but make a rule that says, don't tell me about what you're going to get me. Don't tell me about what you thought getting for me. Don't, you know, I just don't do that because it seems like that's a part of some kind of, it's not working, you know? Um, and so, and I, and I think that's happened in our relationship at one point um, where I would, I, I would be, I would call it partially thoughtful. I would see a lot of things <laughs> and think of doing them, but not do them yeah, and not get, and, and, and it was always, there, there was a practical element, which is to say I would forget or I would get busy or I wouldn't keep track of it or whatever. But why didn't I, a uh, sort of intelligent, at least average IQ thinking human being with resources at my disposal, why didn't I remedy those practical, very fixable things like write it down, set a reminder? Why, why did just purchase it right now? Why didn't I do that until I did? And I think part of it was because I was in the market to um, feel bad about having missed an opportunity to do something nice. Mm -hmm. There was a part of me, and there was certainly a part of you that was in the market for that disappointment and that uh, not, not being appreciated long. and all and all that <laughs> different stuff. And I, you know, I think you could sniff it on me, and I could sniff it on you, and then we sort of got into it together. And it was a strange thing. There was a part of me that wasn't interested in doing that anymore. And the moment that that unconscious commitment to the nonsense shifted off. It was as if a, like you said, a power source plugged into my conscious, intellectual, practical thinker. And that part immediately said to me, you know, Steve, 
The next time I saw a gift that I thought would be a nice thing to get for her or had an idea about it. You know, you always have these ideas and you almost always forget. So you should probably write it down or you should probably purchase it right away. Don't trust that you'll do it later. I had that idea when I did not a month or a moment before. And I think it was really because the moment that I was no longer in the market for the negative emotional consequences of failing to take action, something inside me said, oh, you don't take action here a lot of the time. Here's something that will help you to take action in that area. So a lot of people, a relationship would really benefit so much, I think, if both parties would st stop working on the engine. And that's what normal couples coaching is and couples courses and all this stuff. And there may be some utility there at a certain point in the relationship, right? Stop working on the engine and step back and ask, are we in the market for something about the experience of breaking down on the side of the road and having to push this relationship vehicle all the way home? Is there some part of us that needs that, craves that, thinks that it knows that that's going to happen? Because if we've got that going on, there is no practical mechanical knowledge that will help us repair this thing because we will find a way to, you can build up a tremendous storehouse of knowledge in your mind and if you've got unconscious commitments to create negative emotional outcomes that that knowledge would interfere with you creating, you'll just forget to check in the storehouse in those moments when the storehouse could be opened and the information applied to the situation in which you find yourself. A person has to resolve their unconscious commitments to creating misery for themselves. And then, once they're, that, then they're free. Now, once you're free, you can, I mean, imagine being a slave where you were kept you know, in a temple somewhere and not allowed to leave, but you knew all about how to write code and you knew all about how to do all sorts of wonderful things with woodworking and stonemasonry and all of this, but you were a slave in a temple that you were not allowed to leave. That knowledge would do you no good because you couldn't go to the place where you could use it. Unconscious commitments to creating certain outcomes is a kind of psychic slavery. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it's, again, it's my willingness is irrelevant. My desire is irrelevant. What I could do were I not enslaved is irrelevant because I am committed to, bound in this kind of weird psychic servitude to creating these undesirable emotional outcomes. Now, I can learn all about how to not create those outcomes, but I can't use that knowledge because the contract precludes my use of any information that would cause me to break the contract. I've got to get myself out of that unconscious commitment mm. before I can avail myself, use the information that I've learned. A lot of people will learn a whole bunch of personal growth stuff and then feel stupid because they don't translate what they know into action. And it's, well, didn't you understand? Your unconscious is generating most of the action. You know, your unconscious is generating most of your conscious activity. When you have an idea, usually there's a deeper part of you that said, hey, here's some information, here, remember this thing? And it tosses it to you. Like that part of you, if that part of you is committed to creating outcomes that that idea will interfere with, it's not gonna toss you that idea in the moment that you need it. You gotta extricate yourself from the unconscious commitment to creating the shitty outcome before you can use the information and the knowledge that you have to create better outcomes for yourself. Now, how do you extricate yourself from those contracts, right, that you have to commit to creating these negative outcomes again and again. Watch yourself as you create those outcomes. Mm -hmm. Watch what it looks like to be a psychic slave to that nonsense, that mechanical thinking. Observe it. Don't resist it. Watch it all the way through. Here I go. Oh, I have a real desire to feel that hurt feeling. Oh, part of me feels relieved to have that hurt feeling. Part of me feels like I just stumbled upon a golden egg. Part of me feels like I just found a $100 bill in the parking lot. Part of me, watch for this one, feels so at home in this hurt feeling. Mm -hmm. I feel so at home in disappointment. Feeling cared for and respected and accomplished and good about myself, it feels great. 
in the same way that a hotel on a vacation feels great. But it doesn't feel home like home. And isn't it always lovely to come home, even when you have a fantastic vacation? There's something cozy and familiar about home. I, I'm always gravitating towards it. Doesn't matter where I go, I'm always kind of making my way back home. And I never, feel, you know, you'll never feel comfortable in the way that you feel at home when you're on vacation. You might feel excited and you might feel luxurious and all sorts of great things, but there's a comfort to home regardless of where home is. And for a lot of people, hurt feelings are home. And it's not until that it ceases to feel like home that my sort of existential GPS, my unconscious GPS, is going to stop routing me back to those places. And then it'll start cooperating with the new ideas that you have that you want to create something different. Let's see. A couple of people uh, confirmed that they would like this question answered. And Michelle says, I am annoying at times. I over-mom <laughs> and you guys suck. <laughs> that, that, and with laughing faces. Both, they're both fair and they're both true. <laughs> Listen, I, I think I freely confess this, that I love to be annoying. I mean, it's just one of those kind of sadistic things, you know. And it just so happens that we found, so some, we found some work where we can both drive people completely crazy and say <laughs> things they just hate to hear and also help them over time. Uh, okay, so this is, I'm wondering if you have thoughts on how to prune friendships that aren't aligned for you anymore with as much tact as possible. Um, communicating that that friendship is no longer what you want to engage to get, engage in, but doing so with integrity and kindness. Is this possible? <laughs> um, do you want to talk about that? No, you go. <laughs> okay. So, you know, people don't like to be handled. I don't know if you've noticed this. People don't like to be handled. Like if you're if you're breaking up with somebody, you know, a lot of times you'll do more harm than good trying to save their feelings because they feel you not only ending the relationship, they feel you also kid-gloving them. If, does that make sense? And, 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 and a lot of the times, even if I sincerely believe I'm trying to be as sort of, you know, uh, integrated and as kind as possible, there is often an unconsciously self-indulgent, self-aggrandizing, safe-facing, or, or safe face-saving, sort of ego-inflating impulse underlying my desire to do it the right way, right? Now, I don't, I'm not saying that's the case with you. I don't know. And I'm not saying it's always the case. I don't know. Oftentimes it is. And oftentimes that person will be reacting to that, which they sense unconsciously and oftentimes rightly. And then the person who is in your position can get all upset because they go, I did everything right. I did everything right. And you're still upset. What, what, what's going on here? Or you can go talk to your new friends about how terrible you feel. I just have to end the relationship because it's not right for me anymore. And I try to do it as well as I can. And I feel so bad now that they got their feelings hurt. That for me, now I'm not telling you that this is true or that you should believe this. Anytime I feel any of that inside myself, 100% fake. I feel so bad I hurt their feelings. Fake bullshit crap that I'm indulging in to show myself, mm. my internal critique party, what a great person I am. That's what that is. I'm performing for myself. Do I want to do that? No, not really. Personally, I mean, I guess I don't, you know, if, if I don't want to talk to a person, I just kind of talk to them less. You know, and now if they're contacting me all the time, it, I, my preference is I don't like formal breakups. If, if you're not like romantically involved with that person, in my opinion, a formal breakup isn't really necessary. Now, there may be different kind of, you know, is it mores or mores? You know, there may be different standards and different, you know, whatever. I do think, though, that that formal conversation where you say what you don't want to do anymore and you give the reasons why, and you try to be as tactful as possible so they can't find fault with you, or they try to find fault with you, even though you're being tactful and all that, that to me is kind of a, 
interpersonal minefield funhouse that is almost certainly a racket of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just organically, I mean, I don't have a conversation with the scab, you know, in order to get it to fall <laughs> off. It just kind of does. And yeah. I find that interpersonal relations are very much the same way. And the, this is one of those things too, this, 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 this need to have an explanation, be very suspicious of that. And this desire to provide an explanation when the explanation is unlikely to afford much in the way of comfort to the other person. You know, sometimes, um, sometimes those things are a little bit crooked, you know, and, and a lot of the time it's simply, if you don't have experience with this and you've been in a lot of relationships that aren't fulfilling, you, you think you need a kind of formal dissolution. Uh, I, it's not obvious to me that that's always the case. And if there is one, um, don't try to be tactful. I mean, I, I mean, I personally would just say, you know what? I, honestly, I don't even know exactly what's going on here. And I don't know if trying to explain what I think might be going on here would be productive. The fact of the matter is that I don't feel the same way about our interactions that I used to. And I don't know if it's me or if it's you or if it's a combination. I don't know if I've gotten better or if you've gotten worse or if you've gotten better or if I've gotten worse. I don't really know. I'm just trying to do more of what makes sense and less of what doesn't in my life. And right now at this point, for whatever reason, that involves managing my time or structuring my social life in a different way. And, you know, that's actually how I feel. And and and, and really no kind of... Because there is this certain kind of conversation that I've seen play out among people before. And again, I'm not suggesting this would be you, but this is something that does happen. What I think has happened is that I've spiritually evolved beyond them. (laughs) But I've also spiritually evolved beyond feeling that I have spiritually evolved beyond them. And so what I'm going to do is sit them down. I'm going to try to dispense in a loving way a very airtight spiritual legal discussion about why... I can't hang out with them anymore because they're not as advanced as I am. But that's not it, but it is. But I'm so far above that that I won't do it. And that vibe is very easy, I think, to convey, even if that's not what you're doing and even if that's yes. not what's going on. And I would rather come across, let them be angry at you and let them think things about you and your motivations that aren't necessarily true if that will help them in the transition period. I wouldn't give a whole lot of thought to how they're going to feel at all because I find, you know, the more I respect people, this is something too. The more I respect people, the less I worry about their feelings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, now, mm-hmm. now this is a now see this is a tough one for a lot of people because they spend a lot of time worrying an awful lot or pretending to worry an awful lot about how other people are going to feel, and I think that's an underhanded way of disrespecting them. At some level, it is a what is it? it, it it's a you couldn't find fault with it. What do you mean? I'm concerned with you. It's undercutting them. Listen, you did something for a while, you don't want to do it anymore, let them manage their emotions, let them manage their feelings, and just just don't worry about it. They'll be fine, just like you're fine. Hopefully that's useful. I thought it was very useful. Um, let's see. Someone says, this is my issue, my partner not being self-reflective, and I don't want to be the mirror anymore. Um, but a call with Mosa helped me realize uh, me being resistant to his stagnation um, is causing my health maybe issue, but yeah, (laughs) resistance to what your partner is up to is a, is a game. You know, that is one of these things. It's like, oh, if you're being, if you're not growing, if you're not doing the things that I have decided is important for us, or maybe we had a conversation and you know, it's just anytime you are externalizing and putting 
your okayness, your, oh, oh, if he doesn't this, I can't that. You know, anytime you're kind of putting yourself in handcuffs because of someone else's lack of doing something, it's a game. It's a game of, oh, disappointment. If it weren't for you, actually, that that's a real game. <laughs> that is a, one of the identified games of, oh, if, if only you were growing more. If only you were more interested in personal growth. If only you would take awareness school too or with me, <laughs> then I could dot, dot, dot game. Mm-hmm. You know, if you are holding someone else responsible for the way that you feel game, you know, and the more that you can soberly call yourself out and say, that's a game. I don't know how to not play it yet. I'm, I'm still very taken in by it. It's still very compelling to me, but there is part of me and that's all it takes is just that little part that's starting to say, this is a game and that's a game. And once you realize, once you really are like paying attention and willing to be radically honest with yourself, you'll see all I am is a, is a bundle of games. Yeah. <laughs> all I am used to, I don't even know how to be a real authentic person because I just bounce from one game to another game to a hurt feeling to a fear about what someone thinks about me to a judgment of someone and it's just like all I do is play bad feeling games all day because that's all my parents did and that's all society does and that's all everybody does and they call it a relationship (laughs) Um, and and I'm getting really good at seeing that you know uh, everyone no one wants to see it no one wants to acknowledge it everyone again you just play the game just play the role like if you're the black sheep of the family that's a game you know, like everything in the family is a game. You know, uh, if you're not talking to any of your siblings, that's a game. <laughs> if you're not talking, that everyone is engaging in these unconscious patterned, like just games and waking up to it, seeing it, being honest, noticing when you're engaging in it, notice when you slip back into it. Because like with awareness work and just kind of, you know, to wrap this up soon, because I am getting hungry. Um, the... You know, it's it's ever ongoing, forever, ever. You're just going to keep on needing to do it because it's easy to fall back into patterns. It's easy to, you know, forget. It's easy to develop the ego of I'm a person who gets this and develop a new identity <laughs> and start expressing from this level of like, oh, I thought I had it, but now I don't. And so it's just it's always evolving. It's all, we always need more awareness. Every time we go and teach awareness school, I benefit from it so greatly because I need, there are things I need to see that I've gone unconscious to. And so, you know, just being aware that it's always going to be something that you are going to be doing. It's, it's not an achievement. It's not an arrival. It's an ongoing uh, way of engaging with life. Yeah. It's, you think of your job as like, my job is just to find rotten things within myself. That's my whole job. Like that, like that, like the the real me, right? The real me's job is to find sort of rotten things in my conceptual me's, uh, you know, ideas about stuff. Like if you're looking into the foundation of a home, you know, and think about every every concept of self that you live in. Well, I think I'm a good, fair, decent person. I'm a good mother. I think I'm a this, and I think I'm a that. All those are just conceptual homes that the real you is living in, right? And so every time you're observing yourself. And you think you see something, a little termite damage in the foundation there. As you shy away from that, you know, you're, this is a home that you're considering purchasing. And if you see that termite damage, think about how destructive it would be for you to turn a blind eye. I don't want to know about that if that's there. Really, you should get your sledgehammer out and start swinging, right? So that if you see corrupt things within yourself, let's see how far down the rod goes. Is it the whole thing that needs to be cleared away? It's an exciting and an exhilarating adventure. This, this isn't like, okay, I'm the policeman and I pulled you over and now I'm looking your car up and down and I'm saying, okay, that tail light's out. Oh, what's that on the seat? Is that some marijuana? Oh, do you have your license? No, you don't. And you're just racking up charges 
they're going to get in trouble for. It's not like that. It's not like X's next to answers that you gave on a test and you can only get five or you failed. You know, it's got to be five or fewer or else you don't pass. It's not like that. It's the more issues I can find in myself. Every time you're disturbed by something you see in yourself, you've just had a healing event. Think about it like that. That's a healing event. Every time you find something in yourself or see something in yourself that's horrifying to you or distressing to you or disturbing or that interrupts in some way the mechanical complacency with which you move through this just fake life that you've been sort of shoehorned into by who knows what kind of lunatics, right? Every time you see those things, it's like picking up a big silver dollar on the ground. I mean, it's like a gold coin that you found, right? And you get excited about that. And it's not like, oh, there's something wrong with me. It's like, oh boy, I found some more nonsense. I found some more. If you were in a house and there was just this, you just moved into the house and there were just this stinking, nasty, I don't know if you've ever had like a dead mouse body somewhere in, in, in your house or in the wall or whatever, terrible smell. And one of the worst parts about it is that it's, it's, it seems to move. It's not like it's always in one place. Sometimes it's there. Sometimes it's always in one place, but then it'll be in other places too. And you'll say, where is this? Is this a, a stinking ghost? I mean, what is this thing that's moving around? And I'll tell you something. You think you'd never be happy to find a, a mouse body? Yes, you will. If I put, put you in a house or in a room, right, for a couple hours that smells like that and you can't figure out where that smell's coming from and then you move a box or, or something like that. In our case, we found one in, our, in the limp catcher of the dryer, right? You guys, um, this was... Uh, so listen, when you, when, <laughs> you, you never thought you would be... You go, ha ha! It's like you found $100. It's, except it's better than that, right? I found the source of the stench, right? So when you find yourself engaged in disgusting mental activity. I'm not saying, you know, you're making nudie pictures in your brain. I'm saying that you're sitting there plotting unpleasant interactions with other people. You're sitting there saying to yourself, oh, you should have done this, you should have done that. All this just nasty, devilish mental activity. When you see it, you should rejoice because that stuff was stinking up your experiential house before you saw it. It's just now you found the body. When you found the body, guess what? You at least have a chance to put the body in a bag and put that bag in another bag and put that bag in a can and then let somebody come take that can away. That's what it is. is people feel bad. You feel bad. You knew it was a rat. And once you know what a dead rat smells like, when you smell that smell, you don't say to yourself, well, maybe that's a, some new cologne that I don't particularly care for. You know exactly what it is. Stop fooling yourself. Everything that's dead and rotting in your unconscious basement is stinking up your entire life. It's stinking up the thoughts. You ever have a really beautiful shirt that just smells really bad? Maybe it was washed and left in the washing machine for too long. Or if a skunk sprayed just a beautiful dress or something that you wanted to wear. Think of that. Would you wear it if it smelled like that? And that might be your life. I mean, think about all the good ideas you have and all the feelings, all the things you've tried. Oh, I just tried it. It just doesn't work out. All the relationships that have soured and all this different stuff. It's all very good and wonderful, the parts that are real. But if it's all getting sprayed by this nasty skunk, if it's all rubbing up against dead mice in your unconscious mind, that odor, that aroma is going to contaminate it and affect everything that you do. And it doesn't matter how much effort you make, it's still going to be there. But when you go through and you see this stuff within yourself, you say, hallelujah. What am I celebrating? The fact it's there? No, the fact I saw it. Because I could have very easily lived my whole life and never, never, never mm -hmm. have seen this. And that's that liberating moment. And really you're free when you actually have an authentic and spontaneous celebration Every time you find a dead mental rodent stinking up your life, you don't feel guilty or ashamed or say to yourself, oh my God, everyone else in awareness school probably doesn't deal with this and I'm the worst person. There's something wrong with you if you're thinking that way. There, that's another rat that you need to find. Yes. Who cares? You know what I mean? Everyone thinks they're especially bad and they're not.
They're just not. And even if they were, who cares? Like if you're the worst person in the world, the only thing you should be interested in doing is getting better so that you can enjoy existence while it lasts more than you currently are. Who cares how the other you know, 12, 20, 50 people in the class are doing? What difference does it make? Who cares what your partner's doing? You know, like, I mean, I, w I would rather be on the right path, right? And have a real basket case for a partner than to have a beautiful angel for a partner and be on the wrong path. Because I'll create misery for myself or I'll create heaven for myself sort of wherever it is that I'm going. Um, so yeah, you've got to have the right attitude when you approach this stuff because fakery, if fakery is occurring, you can rest assured that fakery has been incentivized. I know, watch for Melissa's hand to go on my shoulder. <laughs> uh, but, you know, this is the thing. If you're faking, faking has been incentivized. What false idea incentivizes fakery? Why am, I, why am I faking right now? Why am I pretending to care about how my friend might get her feelings hurt? Is it, is it, is it, does that constitute evidence that I'm a good person? You know, why am I pretending to feel guilty that my son, that I confronted my son in a very kind of mild way? I mean, I doubt you slugged him or something like that, you know? Why? Why am I pretending to care what other people think? Why am I pretending to be anxious? Why am I pretending to be worried about what other people might say? Why am I pretending to care if I'm a bad person or not? Why am I pretending all this stuff? And usually you can gather some interesting information about yourself. Totally. This was super fun. Thank you to everyone who joined in. If there was a question that we didn't get to and you want an answer to it, it I'm going to post this and you're welcome to comment on it and we'll try to get back to you. Um, but if you want to dive into this, if you like this, if you like to sit here with us and discuss these ideas and unravel patterns and notice like baloney that's going on within you and phoniness and fakery and games that you're playing, that's what Awareness School is. It's 10 weeks of this with three bonus meetings and a whole 10 module masterclass on understanding all the inner workings of your mind in a systematic and fun, organized way. And uh, we open the class four times a year and it's really fun and we love it and the people who take it love it and it's just a wonderful experience. And so we invite you to join us. Uh, the early bird enrollment price ends at midnight tonight and then the price goes up um, and then we start uh, a week from tomorrow. So. That's the 22nd of January. It'll meet on Mondays at five o'clock Pacific time. Um, if you are in Europe or in a different time zone that it doesn't work for, we do one class a year at an earlier time and that's gonna be the spring class this year. So that's that. Have a lovely evening and we'll see you again soon. See you, good night.